Welcoming to the Ray Carr Show is legendary singer, songwriter, guitarist, pianist, and actor, Mr. Peter Noon. Peter, thank you for joining the Ray Carr Show today. Thanks for having me, Ray. It's a good day. Oh, it's a great day. And the big show that uh, Herman's Hermits, starring Peter Noon, will be performing at the Lorraine Palace Theater Friday, March 3rd, which is a 7.30 show. Peter, that's going to be a tremendous show. I can't wait to see it. Yeah, you know, we we try to do good shows everywhere. We we did one last night. We do one tonight. We 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 keep getting better and better. I think I'm not sure I, I feel better. You know, as we we I love the songs, so I'm happy every night. I just get a chance to sing them. So hopefully at Lorraine, that'll be the best concert we ever did ever. And that's that's the right attitude to have. And I and the songs that you do are are have been my favorites for fifty years. Um, I'm into something good, which was recorded in 1964. I'm Henry VIII, um, boy, you know, just uh, listen to me. These are my favorites. And of, and of course, Mrs. Brown, you've got a lovely daughter. I love that one, too. Me, too. That's a great song. And, and Henry VIII. I like Henry VIII, too. It's lots of fun to play, and the audience sing it, and, and the audience sing there's a kind of harsh. So we, we've got quite a lot. And last night they sang Silhouettes. Oh, yeah, by, by the Rays, originally. Yeah. Peter, yeah, now I yeah. I notice you don't have a song or a set list. You just kind of play to the crowd. Yeah, we have a load of songs that we know and we do sometimes we do. It just depends how the audience looks. You know, we just we just look at them and see what they like. You know, last night was a sit-down audience, you know, like theater-type audience where everyone's sitting down, so they don't need any dance music. Right. And, and, and you know that being an entertainer as long as you have and an actor – you can just look out at the audience and you just instinctively know the right thing to do at the right time. Well, I was brought up in a situation like when you played the cabin, you had to keep people's attention. Uh, and so you learn by doing it. We did a lot of gigs before we became famous. And I learned sort of how to handle myself and how to watch the audience and how to follow their signals. You came from a family of musicians. Including, I think your Aunt Mary used to play Fats Waltz for you. Yeah, yeah. Me and my Auntie Mary did a show together, like in the parlor of my grandmother's, where we would sing My Very Good Friend the Milkman. Wow. My very good friend the Milkman says, and I saw I saw a Paul McCartney thing, same song. Yeah, yeah, his, exactly. His aunties played the same song. So it's interesting how the Beatles and Herman's Hermits and the Stones, all of us listen to the same songs by, from our parents. So the 60s is really a rehash, you know, is all the influences of probably the 40s and the 50s. And you were a big uh, fan of Eddie Cochran and Johnny Cash as well uh, from uh, from America. Yeah, Eddie Cochran, uh, Buddy Holly, Johnny Cash, uh, Waylon Jennings, you know, all of that. We liked all of that in England. What what made the, the American sound so appealing to you? Uh, I think America was the... Is, where show business was invented, you know what I mean? It, it, it's all a bit Moorish dancing in the rest of the world, you know, and like lederhosen and accordions. And and in in America, they 
turned it into popular music. And they called it, it's been called rock and roll before that, but jazz. They're all American things, bebop, all, all the types. Of, I'm not saying classical music, but popular music, like modern popular music. You know, Rodgers and Hammerstein, um, Ray Conniff. I mean, it just goes on and on. It's all American. Buddy Holly, Texas rock and roll, uh, which is really country and Western music. So, you know, it's all, it was always America for me. All the, all the great movies seem to have been that I liked, you know, like the Magnificent Seven were American. Great movie. All that stuff. I even like the new one. Yeah, yeah, it wasn't bad either, but I, I always am partial to the original. You know, basically in England, first of all, we only had one television. American television show, and it was the Perry Como show. We didn't have any of the other people, so we we all grew up with a bit of whoever Perry Como had on his show, we knew them. And of course, people like me who only bought the original copies of records, like there was a guy called Craig Douglas, who was a great singer, and he did all the Sam Cooke songs, one after the other. And there was another guy who did all the Bobby V songs. So you know, we, I just bought the originals, and my influences were, were were all Americans. I'm not influenced by any English singers. You know, Perry Como's got an Ohio connection. He was a barber from Steubenville, Ohio. Really, I didn't know that. So yeah, there you go. I, well, well, we started the other day. I was I, I made a joke in the show that um, I went to a show with my grandparents, and it was the Monkees and Perry Como, <laughs> and the audience started to sing "Catch a Falling Star," and they knew all the words. <laughs> Wow. Is Steubenville near where we're going? Uh, no, actually, Steubenville is near Pennsylvania. You're, you'll be okay. be about maybe 200 miles away from there. But uh, that's also okay. where Dean Martin grew up. Oh, nice. Great. Very interesting. But the big yeah. show the big show is going to be Friday, March 3rd, at the Lorraine Palace Theater. And I'll tell you what, I'm sure it will be the the best show you've ever done, because I, I cannot wait. I've been waiting to see you for my whole life, and... Uh, I know this place will be packed and rocking and rolling and ready to go. And uh, tickets are in sale now. And the theater is at 617 Broadway in Lorraine. And we'll give the phone number out at the end of the interview. Um, Peter, any thoughts about Ohio? You've been here a number of times. Well, Ray, when, when Herman Hermit's first broke in America, it was all Ohio. It was all, um, we, we came, we, it was the first, we did the Columbus, Ohio, you know, the Ohio State Fair. We played. On the first tour, I think five of the 25 concerts were in Ohio. And it's still like that. We play quite a lot. We play at least once a year in Ohio because it's always been the state where we, like, there are maybe at least 200 lifetime members of the Peter Noon fan club who live in Ohio, in different parts of Ohio. It's a big state. Ohio's bigger than England. Right. There's like 12 million people that live here. And and, and on my show, I play a lot of Herman's Hermits, and there's a tremendous amount of fans. And I was able to bring to the, the you know, the table that For Your Love and Bus Stop were originally done by you guys. Yeah, we're going to do We'll probably do those in the show in Ohio. If we get, when we play theaters, we get to be, you know, if you play a theater, everybody who came to the show paid money to see you. So they get more than if it's like a casino or a park where people just like, oh, who is it? You know, so in a theater, we it's the, always the best shows are in theaters, always. And one of the songs that um, I remember, I, I read this um, recently, that John Paul Jones had a lot to do with the song Dandy and No Milk Today. And there's a kind of hush. He, he, he's the bass player and the arranger. He wrote the charts for those songs. And we went in the studio and we recorded them to his charts. 
No Milk Today. And, and you know, No Milk Today, Dandy, and There's a Kind of Hush were all recorded at the same session. Huh. And it was weird because um, it's like in Abbey Road, the, the strings were in another room. So at the intro of There's a Kind of Hush, there's a delay in the... Da, 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 da. When you play it, you listen to it now, if you know anything about music, you can, you can notice that they we're not in tempo, but it still was the best shot. Because we kind of recorded live in those days. The vocal that I sang with the band that day was John Paul Jones on bass, and I, I can't remember, Clem Coutini maybe on drums. And um, we sang kind of live, and that was usually the best take. You've so got interesting. So no milk today was like done in one go, and then I double tracked my vocals. It was like, and dandy, dandy was like the strings are on the same time, and they're a little bit out of time as well. And you felt more comfortable doing it this way. You know, Nikki most only had one real note. Uh, he would say, "I don't believe you." Do it again. Huh. And that's that. That was. You know, you had to get into inside the song and believe it, you know, because cause in, in music, you know, like in There's a Kind of Hush, so when you go, so listen very carefully, the musicians have to know that you're singing, so listen very carefully. Otherwise, they won't play play it with the same kind of soul. So, you know, songs are drama. So songs are a drama and they have a, and it's a play and it has a story and it has a beginning, a middle and an end. And the bridge isn't the same as the verse. So quite often, like, a, for example, Wonderful World, we did this Wonderful World song because me and Eric Burden, uh, we were big fans of um, Sam Cooke and Sam Cooke got murdered in, in Los Angeles. So we went in quickly to the studio. You know, in those days, you could go in the studio the same day. It was easy. You just went over to the studio. And I cut, well, he cut Bring It On Home to Me, Eric Burden cut Bring It On Home to Me with the animals. Yeah. And I cu- I cut Wonderful World with uh, Jimmy Page, I think. Is, yeah, Jimmy Page is a wonderful world. And, uh, yeah, and it was believable because Mickey, Mickey Mouse, the producer, said, do that one because, you know, you don't know anything about history or geometry or geography or trigonometry, which wasn't true, but he said, it's much more believable, a 16-year-old boy singing that than Sam Cooke. Yeah, you're right. The old I don't believe you was per- perfect. That's a perfect illustration of his, I don't believe you. Now I believe you. So, no, but, you know, we had that thing. A lot of the records were made sort of, first of all, the band was of of the moment. The whole thing was of the moment. You know, we were playing in a moment that is a real moment. 1965 and 64 and 60s. You can tell that it's, they were made for them. The records were made for now. They still work but they were made for that week that they came out. I think if you put out Henry VIII now, it would disappear in a second. But the, when that came out, it was of the moment. It was the perfect record for that week. And the proof was they all went straight to number one. Mrs. Brown, You've Got a Lovely Daughter, is probably the oddest record ever, you know, and it went straight to number one because it was odd and charming. Oh, it, was made, it was made of the moment. Everything's home and so We didn't have a plan. You know, these bands have got a plan and let's make a psychedelic album, let's make a disco album. We just made records to get on the radio that week. <laughs> and they worked. They worked. Peter Noon, our special guest. <laughs> Peter, um, the, uh, the song Mrs. Brown, You've Got a Lovely Daughter was originally done by Tim Courtney or Tom Courtney. Yeah. And, and I listened to it and yeah, it was a good song, but your version 
was so much better. Well, I yeah, I think, I think Tom would agree, and, and the writer of the song. I think we, quite often, Herman Summit's got hold of something and turned it into something different and special. We did with Silhouettes. I mean, if you listen to the original Silhouettes, we really nailed it. We made it into a 65 song. It was a 55 song that we turned into a 65 song. And, and Mrs. Browning, that lovely daughter, was just this cute little thing. And, you know, I, I, I never take all the credit for everything. The credit for Mrs. Browning, that lovely daughter, goes to Keith Hopwood, who bought this Gretsch country gentleman guitar. Chet Atkins, Chet country gen, uh, Chet Atkins, Gretsch country gentleman guitar. And it had this little damper on it that was supposed to make the sound of a banjo. It doesn't make the sound of a banjo, and banjo doesn't have muted strings. But it was something that Chet Atkins had designed, and he thought it'd be good, this little damper to go tonka, 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 for country music, right? And we both seen, it was a, the, the Tom Courtney version was in a television play called The Lads, which was, and it was written by the guy who wrote the song. And the, the play was written by the, the Tom Courtney writer. So we both heard it, and one of us, I'll give him the credit because it doesn't really make much difference to me. One of us said, hey, we could get that Chet Atkins country gentleman sound and do that sound like he's got that little ukulele thing. And we were in his house in Church Road in Ernston, and we didn't have an amplifier, and it was a country gentleman, and it kind of had a, it was a, a hollow-bodied guitar, and we put together that version of Mrs. Brown and Got Lovely Daughter. And then when we showed it to the band, Carl Green came up with dunga, 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 you know, and it turned it into a, a smashing little record. And Mickey Most, uh, he, did, he wanted me to believe it. He didn't want to record it. But he got, no, let's just strip it. He said, we'll put it on track three, side two. <laughs> uh, you know, because he didn't think it was a hit, because who would think that would be a hit? Right. Uh, and it, it just was because it was charming and it was of the moment. It's always going to be things that are of the moment. I mean, Katy Perry had her moment. It isn't now. Adele had her moment. It isn't this week. You know, we had our moment in those weeks. Unfortunately, along the way, I turned into an entertainer, so we can still go out and have a show. We do a thing called a show. So if it's the same every week, isn't Oklahoma the same every time you go and see it? No. So we, we, we want we keep the songs in the same order, you know, basically. You know, they're, they're not like a set list, but we always do. I'm into something good, wonderful world, love potion number nine, silhouettes. There's a kind of hush, Mrs. Brown, you've got a lovely daughter. Uh, you know, there's um, I'm Henry VIII, I am, there's a kind of, they're all in the show. You know that they're going to be in the show. So that's kind of, I think that's what they would give the people what they want is what we do. Peter, you really love to entertain. I, I've watched you um, on video and you just really love to do that. I, I really do, but you know, that's not unusual. You know, there's a lot of people from my era who aspired to be uh, not Elvis Presley, but to be Dick Van Dyke or Danny Kaye, who were entertainers. You know, I, I wanted to learn to dance like Danny Kaye, and <laughs> I, didn't, I never thought of myself as a musician. Like Je Jerry Marsden says, I'm not a musician, I'm an entertainer. The musicians stand behind me. Yeah, Jerry of Jerry and the Pacemakers, yeah. Yeah, right. Oh, man. So, you know, we, we, we do, I turned myself into an entertainer. It took a long time, but, you know, I got good. Oh, yeah. You know, they say 10,000 hours. I took 100,000 hours. 
Yeah. Well, I mean, you you are very, very, very good. And, you're, you know, you've acted in, and you've been on a lot of TV programs, too. I mean, Married with Children, from that to Ed Sullivan. I mean, it runs the gamut of television that you've been on. Yeah, I, I did loads of television shows because people think I'm good at that. And, and I always play the same character. I play this English rock star. And I did three movies and I did a Broadway show, a couple of Broadway shows where I basically played Peter Noon singing other people's songs. So I think it's probably what I do every night on stage, but I'm not acting like I'm having fun. I am having fun. Yeah, it really shows. Now, it all began, I think, if I'm not mistaken, 1960, you they you went up on the stage and filled in for a gentleman named Malcolm. You were Peter Novak in the heartbeats. Um, is, is, that, is that information I have correct? Yeah, he was actually Pete Novak, like Pete Townsend, only it was Pete Novak. Yeah, you know, there's a guy called Malcolm Lightfoot who didn't show up for the gig. And, and Alan Wrigley, who was the bass player in this band called The Heartbeats, knew that I knew every song. I was a music collector. I played, had the best record collection in Manchester, probably. And uh, he showed me that what was called a set list in those days. These are the songs. Do you know any of these songs? And I, I know them all. So I said, would you help us out? Malcolm didn't show up. So I said, sure. And I, st- I got on stage and I was better than Malcolm, obviously, because he was never brought back. <laughs> Right. You don't show up once, you probably lose the gig. Yeah. And, and at that moment, you realize that, boy, you know, I, I'm, I'm good at this. Well, you know, I was really afraid. But at some point of this evening, I think it was during I'll Never Dance Again or something, a song we used to do, a Bobby Rydell song, uh, I'll Never Dance Again. Some part during that show, I, I got singing, like, comfortably, and I go, hey, this, is, this feels good. I think I could probably do this for, you know, this is good fun. And never once did I imagine that I'd ever make money. In those days, people had a job so they could be in a band. Do you know what I mean? In those days, you needed a job to support the ability to to go and play concerts. So, you know, I had to get two. I had three jobs to be in Herman Sermons or Pete Novak and the Hobbies. I once drove around with a guy putting cement posts in the ground. And that isn't good for anybody who's got little tiny English pink hands. And then I was a window cleaner. And then uh, me and a guy who who isn't in the music business, Roy Bergen, sold newspapers on street corners and delivered newspapers and and programs. And uh, we we worked for Manchester United, this English football club. And we used to sell programs there. And at halftime, we used to sell the newspapers there. You know, I mean, unbelievable. We worked our asses off in those days just to be in a van. Wow. That's- just, to, just to be able to get a van and get the petrol and drive, do a concert and get paid $10, which split four ways or five ways wasn't really going to feed us. We, we'd stop at a fish and chip shop, but we never got the fish. We only ever got the chips. <laughs> Wow. You know, you also, you know, knew John Lennon back in the day and uh, the, John and Paul were, I, I imagine, very big influences on you. Well, they were because the, the, the biggest part of the influence was that there was nobody was competitive. We were not competition. You know, Herman's Hermits weren't like the Beatles and the Beatles weren't like the Kinks or the Rolling Stones or the Who. We were all completely unique and different. So consequently, you could be friends with people even if they didn't like your music. Nowadays, if you don't like the music, you can't stop not even speaking to them. That's rubbish. So, so that they were kind to us, you know, because we were these kids starting off, and uh, 
they were nice. They, you know, I'd go, I'd go to a place where they, where I was too young to get in, and John Lennon would get me in and buy the drinks. You know, he's, you, I'll get two per card. There was two drink minimums in clubs in those days, and uh, he'd say, "I'll get two per card as you get two cokes," and that was it. We were in, and I was ready to go. And they, and they were kind to us in the in the fact that we we do loads of gigs with them, concerts with them, and they were always pleasant and. And what are you up to? Where are you going? Oh, yeah, that kind of thing. And I used to, I used to get lifts with them. You know, I was a kid, so I would say, where are you going after the concert? Where are you going after this TV show? And they'd say, we're going to London. And I'd say, can I come with you? And they'd say, sure. And I'd hop in the, you know, I had loads of rides with the Stones in those days because they liked me. The Stones liked me. We had the same, you know, their manager was involved in Herman Summits as well. So we, we, were, we hung out well together. And they were not as rough and rowdy as they would like you to believe. They were more like Herman Shermits than Herman Shermits. Wow. Just they, they just to go bluesy and they were a bit more, you know, their, their image was to get people to think that they were Cockney rebels. And our image was that we were the boys next door. Yeah. The antithesis. You know, so, you know, the, the, we were the dichotomy. Yeah, we were, we were the opposite of the Stones, which is good. And we didn't have a plan like the Stones. We, we didn't. We didn't make plans. They made plans. Oh, and then we're going to have an album in the summer, and we're going to. We didn't do that. We said, "How do we get? Let's get in the studio and try and get a record that gets on the radio." And that was it. Wow, that's our story. We didn't ever make an album. We made singles that failed, that that didn't turn out really well, like "Bus Stop" and "For Your Love," and we put them in albums, and other people recorded them and turned them into hits. But I still like your versions a lot. I, I really, I really enjoy those a lot. And a lot of people don't know that you did those. Yeah, you can like them, but you've got to admit that the Holly's version of Bus Stop is a much better version than Herman Sonnet's. And the same, the Yardbirds for Your Love is a much better version than Herman Sonnet's. But they referred to ours to make it better. Just like we referred, referred to the Silhouette's version of Silhouette and got a better version. You know, it, it's, it's great. I'm, I'm happy that they made good records. My friend wrote both the songs, so I'm happy that he, that, and, and me and Keith Pop would own a bit of the publishing on For Your Love, and we don't know why. Peter Noonan, special guest here on the Ray Carr Show. Uh, Peter, you're also the host on a radio show called, uh, on the Sirius XM radio network. Uh, it's called uh, Something Good, Saturdays at 5 p.m. Uh, you obviously enjoy doing radio because you have a great voice, and um, you tell some stories on that show. And how long have you been doing that? I think I've been doing it for three years. I keep. I think I've had two raises, so I've been doing it for three years now. They like it, and you know, it's, they've got thirty-one million subscribers, and I think twelve of them listen to my show. But um, mine's a good show, and it's a fun show, and I play. I only play music that I like, and and I, if I don't like you, I don't. You know, just, I play some songs by people that I don't like, but I don't talk about them. You know, my mother said, if you don't have something nice to say about something, don't say anything at all. So some people, I just play their music. Yeah. I can like, I can like your music if I don't like you. Okay. Yeah. Um, who, just out of curiosity, who are some of your favorite, um, you know, song, kind of obscure songs in the sixties that you enjoy listening to and playing on the radio? You know, I, I like Adam Faith cause he was a good guy and he was very talented and he had a great producer. It's called Adam Faith. And I think he, 
he was unique. When he did an American song, he did like, what What do you want if you don't want money? I think it was a Bobby V song originally. What do you want if you don't? And he did a totally unique version of that. And he did a message to Martha, and he made some pretty good records. And he only had, he only had one hit in America, and it was called It's All Right. And, and at some time in his career, he, he wanted to manage me. So, you know, I, I just think he was a great person, a really good personality. And he, and he turned into a great actor, had a TV series in England. So, you know, I like to play him. I like to play Johnny Kidd and the Pirates because I have great memories of seeing them live. Uh, and I like, you know, anything that has got people, any bands where there's people in them where that I know and like, I play them. You know, it's like a, I played a Cream record the other day because I have great me and Jack Bruce were great pals you know not musically friends but friends yeah and um, uh, you know we didn't say let's make a record together we were not the same type but we did hang out and go drinking together and do boys stuff you know so so there's loads of them as well you know fortunately I've been around a long time and I've always been kind of affable so so people feel comfortable coming up and talking to me. Do, do you know what I mean? Yes, I, I understand, yes. Yeah. So I know loads of people and I've got loads of stories and I, and, I, and I still see lots of people from that period. It's like my wife and I went for dinner with Eric Burden last week and we, both of us have known him for, you know, over 20 years. So, like, maybe 50. But stuff still, you know, a lot of people whose music I play in the show are still alive. You know, I play, uh, not only British people, remember. I mean, I play loads of American people as well, like Tommy Rowe and people who are still out still out there, you know. They're still out there. Yeah, yeah, I love Tommy Rowe. I, I... Yeah, great records. Great records, great guy. So that's what we do. And I, and I play the Monkees because I know Mickey and I knew Davey pretty well. And I don't know the other two, but I know those two. And um and I play the monkeys and I got great monkey stories and and I make stuff up. You know, I say at the beginning of the show, some of the stories I tell may be true, which leaves me an opening to lie. <laughs> I get it. Wow. Um, and and the, the monkeys were really a phenomenon in 1966 in America. I mean, they really took over. Yeah, I think they did in England as well. They were just, you know, but teen idol thing. So, yeah, we enjoyed that. You know, uh, Peter, I just thought about something. We, we talked a moment ago about Johnny Kidd and the Pirates. The song that really resonated with me was Shake Over. Yeah, it's a great record. Great guitar playing, everything. Everybody's great on that. Everything. And it's a great record. And they were a great band. I used to go and see them in Manchester at the Oasis. We used to get bus rides and bike rides and stuff to go and see Johnny Kidd and the Pirates. But, but we also went to see people like Eddie Cochran and Sam Cooke and Little Richard and Jerry Lee Lewis. And, you know, there was... A, and, and Wayne Fontana and the Mindbenders, when they were Wayne Fontana and the Jets and the Escorts and the Undertakers and the Big Three and who played in Liverpool a lot. There were a load of great bands that were were worthy of a bike ride and a bus ride. Do you know what I mean? Oh yeah, I mean, those, I mean, that's we, a dream. We got, we got. Um, uh, my my friend at school was this guy called Roy Bergen, and he had an older brother, and his older brother could borrow the works van weekends and we would get in his van like it was a tiny tiny van but like six people in it would be you know all in the back it was a delivery van so there was no seats in it and we'd pile in there and remember there was no booze then we were all too young to even think about booze 
you know, maybe there was a cigarette. But, uh, you know, and we would follow, we would follow Sam Cook around. We'd go, we'd go a hundred miles to Stoke. And then the next day we'd get in the van and we'd go to Liverpool. And then the next day we'd go wherever Sam Cook was going, we followed him around on the store and he wore the same clothes every night. <laughs> wow. <laughs> he, just, he wore a turquoise suit every night. Brilliant. Absolutely brilliant. And he started with, he, one night he started with shake. Oh, you know, it's totally brilliant. I mean, that's still memorable stuff. You know, you remember I remember seeing ZZ Top and him started starting off with well-dressed men and, you know, stuff like that is, uh, you know, I, I'm happy that I've had those experiences. Oh, those are classic. I mean, you can't put a price on those experiences. Yeah. I mean, amazing. Have you ever thought about uh, maybe piling all that information together and compiling a chronological book from beginning to end here? We've talked about it, but, you know, I'm, so, I'm too busy right now. I did 138 gigs last year, and we're going to do 120 or something this year, maybe more. We don't know this year. Yeah. This year's still unfolding. Right. Well, it's, it's, a bit, it's been a good year, but, I mean, in the future, I'm sure at some point. Yeah, I've got, I've got another 10 years. I'll probably do it within the next 10 years. Otherwise, the people who want to read it will all be dead. No, I, I think a lot of younger people are very much uh, into your music as well because they want to learn, you know, your music still sounds relevant. And it sounds great. The way I'm going, because I started off younger than all the others, I'll soon be the only one left from the period. Yeah. Well, you know, even though somebody could be gone, I mean, or very old, I mean, it's still their music can be revived again. Yeah, right, exactly. But if they're not alive, I could tell stories that aren't true about them. Yeah, you could. You absolutely could. Peter Noon, our special guest here on the Ray Carr Show, the show, uh, Hermit's Hermit, starring Peter Noon, will be at the Lorraine Palace Theater Friday, March 3rd, 7.30, and the theater is located at 617 Broadway in Lorraine. Phone number is 440-245-2323. Peter, thank you. And I, I just thought of something before I let you go also is, what was the strangest bill you were ever on? Uh, I think it was Cliff Richards and the Shadows, the Beatles, the Stones, the Yardbirds, Herman's Hermits, the Animals, and the Seekers. Wow. That's amazing. Yeah, good night out. Wow. Didn't the Shadows do the original version of Apache? Yeah, I think they wrote it. Yeah, that's what I thought. Cliff Richard was in that band, I believe. Cliff Richard was a singer in the band. Cliff Cliff Richard wasn't one of the Shadows. It was Cliff Richard and the Shadows. Right, exactly. Yeah. I go, go, right. Well, Peter, thank you so much for your time. Hey, it's good talking to you. I'll see you at the wherever it is there. Yeah, thank you, sir. Take care. Bye. Bye Bye-bye. A show is a show. I know you know they're broadcasting mono and stereo. My favorite one on the radio, the famous Ray Car Show. Tuesdays on WCSB, it's 89.3 FM frequency. 7 a.m. to 9 will be the famous Ray Car Show. DJ's yakety yakka street commercial radio. But Mr. Ray will always feature quality audio. A show is a show, I know, you know. There's hundreds of them on the radio. Which is the one you want to know? Well, listen to this. It's the Ray Car Show.